Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. So I've got a couple of questions coming in. So David, who I think is up in Toronto, is saying, with contents going digital, and this is your wheelhouse, having being a recovering attorney, as I, as I referred to you, with content going digital on day one, what about copyright and people downloading it for free with torrents and and how is how is all of that playing out? Because I, you know, I, well, let's just stop there and let you answer the question. Yeah, well, certainly, copyright has been. I hate to say relaxed, but for a lack of a better word, and I'll give you some specific examples about how that does. So, first of all, I guess the the owners of IP, ultimately, IP ownership, everything flows from that. Everything flows from that. So those who own the IP, the rights, the creators, they're the ones who I always believe are in the control seat. So what's the best thing to do about it? The old days, and when I was uh, president of a company called Music Match, we were a legitimate streaming service competing against the bad Napster. That was when bad Napster was here. And so the old days was just litigate the bad guys out of existence, and that didn't work. Well, over time, there's been a realization that a slow one, that as new technologies come online, putting your head in the sand and just fighting it is not going to be the answer. So how do you find a way to take that new technology, that new service, and leverage it to your benefit? So copyright has not necessarily been relaxed, but there has been a more innovative, realistic, and smart view by the copyright owners and the owners to play ball with people who are creating new ways to engage. Because ultimately, content, if it has new ways to engage, new ways to find you, that is all monetizable. That's a good thing. Like, that's a wonderful thing. If you can get your art out there, that's a great thing. So a couple really interesting examples that um, there. TikTok is an example. So TikTok is massive. A year ago in the United States, it wasn't, by the way. And I know this because I have a 20-year-old kid and a 17-year-old kid. And a year ago, they were sneering at TikTok. They were like, Psh. and then TikTok really took off and is not just about music anymore. But they must have blanket licenses. I'm sure they do. And now the now the music um, guys, the labels, they're craving to work with them because of the audience. And a fascinating one is Walt Disney Company. Walt Disney is probably the most controlling of its IP than any company out there, yeah. right? But they did an, uh, an interesting experiment with the movie Frozen. For the first time with Frozen, they allowed the songs themselves to be just out there and used by my kids, your kids, everybody's kids to create videos on YouTube and whatever. And they didn't they didn't fight them. They didn't ask YouTube to take them down. They allowed it to happen. So everybody and ultimately what that that led Frozen to that's known as the reason why Frozen became the massive hit it was is because all of us and our kids became the greatest marketers for them. Yeah, so and they so, embraced user-generated content in a way that drove oh, awareness. Yeah, brilliant. It, so I don't know if that was uh, – well, it must have been an intentional strategy at the time, but it worked. But it was a it was a fundamental shift in Disney's own thinking, and that shows you how now copyright owners, at least the smart ones, are looking at the world. All right, so that takes us to the next what I thought was actually the biggest news in media last week. That didn't quite get the coverage that the streaming that the the theater wars did, but Travis Scott in Fortnite. Did you have a chance to see it? I actually didn't see that one. 
So what, what happened was, so Travis Scott, one of the biggest you know, rap artists in the world now, did a deal with Fortnite, and they, he yeah. showed up live. Well, not live, yeah. recorded. But basically, they turned off all the fighting, so you couldn't kill each other. And he did this next-level performance in Fortnite, where he was this bigger-than-life character, and you would like, and, and he went from scene to scene to scene, so they did like five-scene wardrobe changes in about a 10-minute show. Um, and it was a bit of like a, almost like um, a medley of his big hits. And they yeah. used that to launch a new collaboration and a new wardrobe. And there were 27 yeah. million v- live views over five shows in different time zones. And, um, well, I, so I kind of- it, and I was speechless, like which never happens to me. <laughs> well, so it sounds like I didn't see it. I'd heard a little bit of it, but I didn't see it. But it sounds like it took the... A year ago, remember, there was the big Fortnite experience with, with Marshmallow, but it sounds like it took it like to a whole new level. level. Yeah, yeah, it took it to the next level. And, and what I was like, when this happens in VR, that's the game changer because that when you, when you combine the production value and the fact that this is something that you can't imagine, like it was hard to imagine, really. It was really psychedelic. And, and then and you take that with a sense of real presence. It's going to be interesting to see where they go. And and so my question is really about like there's talk about Fortnite building the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. for those of you that don't know what the metaverse is, it was what was the book Snow Snow Crash, William Gibson Snow Crash, and and he okay. talked about this you know this virtual world. I think the more recent version of that would be the Oasis and Ready Player One. And there's talk about Fortnite is actually or Epic Games is actually building that in Fortnite now. And, um, and a place where we live virtually. And they just now, and so just Friday, I think it was, they announced Fortnite Party, which is a place, an island you can hang out and not, there's no weapons. You can shoot each other with like plungers and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Where right. people can hang out in this, in this other world, the fourth place. What do you see happening in, in this kind of virtual world landscape? Because there's a lot of companies that are playing around in that. So... The concept there of the metaverse, uh, what was it, Second Life, you know, Second Life really, I think, kind of started the ball on that so long ago, like really ahead of its time, although it, it killed it even back then. All these, first from like a content owner's a creator's perspective, I think the lesson there, like with Travis Scott and his representatives, is good on them for looking at the world and really thinking out of the box in terms of, okay, I've heard about this marshmallow thing. What can we do? What other sorts of platforms are being very entrepreneurial. So I think a lesson to all creators is look at that. There are so many different ways to interact and engage, play with them, experiment with them. And so that's one thing. Uh, What you mentioned and like the two pack thing with the hologram, and like the red pill VR thing where you can be with the DJs and you can interact with your friends. And it's not just like a video game. You actually, like I said, I've tried it and it blew my mind. Like I, it blew my mind. And I was just there with people or avatars I, I didn't know. And I was still like, couldn't believe it. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes going to music festivals. So I've been in the, and I still go to, maybe I shouldn't, but I still do go to the Sahara tent every year. And I love it at Coachella. So I'm right in there. And I felt like I was on something like that. The idea, I believe that there's a place for all of it. So there could be times when you want the, the 
you need the live. You need the Bob Cooney in the room with you, you know, shaking hands. And we will shake hands again. But you, you want the, you know, you want the Emily Haynes, who's the lead singer for Metric, who live streams all the time. She's really savvy that way. But you're going to want to see her in the round. You're going to want to see the band and you're going to want to feel it in a different kind of way. But then there are many times when, let's say, you can't go to Coachella or you can't go to that concert where you will be able to experience it virtually. And the obvious thing is live streaming and live streaming is not just what we're doing here. There's all kinds of whistles and bells that can be added to that. But then there's more than the two dimensional, then it's the three dimensional, the four dimensional. So I think that there's a place for all of it. And just back on the music side, or even on a franchise side, like a Star Wars, if you're a super fan, I think you're going to be wanting to engage in all of it. Just like the artist is going to want to experiment with it, you as a fan are going to want to experiment with it because you have different moods, you have different whatevers. And so I'm just an, ultimately, I'm a long-term optimist about creativity. I think that the, the, all the new platforms, all the new technologies, the beauty of it is it gives you a new opportunity to express your craft. I mean, here's another thing, and, at, and I'm sorry, but I get passionate about this stuff. But when you talk about, like in the video side, before we had the streaming services and before we had smartphones and all that, we were and cable packages and all that, we were locked into 22-minute sitcoms, essentially. 30-minute sitcoms, 22 minutes of content, 8 minutes. And so we had all these formats that we were locked into, which stifled creativity. Things were much more formulaic. Well, the beauty of all these different platforms is that the rules are off. The handcuffs are off. You can experiment any ways you want. And that's why you see things like Game of Thrones. They kill off characters. You know, they killed off their the lead actors in the first three episodes. Like that never would have happened. Or Quibi, so, which is a whole platform for six-minute short-form video, which launched at the worst possible time. For yeah, them. yeah. Well, that's true. But it, exactly right. And those are just a few examples. But so you have all these different ways for creators to create. And no matter if you're a big time Martin Scorsese type, then play with the smaller things and just experiment. And it's just a different form of craft. So if you're in in all these different dimensions, I'll bring it back as best I can for, for myself, is that you just different platforms are different ways to tell a story. And so if you try to bring something that you put on video and try to just translate that to a fourth dimensional sort of experience, it's not going to work. You have to look at the platform, and, but the core IP, so the character, the central storyline can be carried through it. So like from, from my standpoint, the big, the holy grail is if you're able to tell a story that goes from this to this to this to this and almost like comes full circle, including out of home. So somebody was asking a question, and, and I suspect it might be Heather Blair, about esports in theaters. And so let's talk yeah. about esports first. Okay. What's happening there? Because we're seeing this crossover between real athletes now that sports are shut down, professional sports. And I'm right. sorry, that was terrible. I don't mean that esports athletes aren't real athletes. Kylie's son is a is a CSGO player. He's playing Valorant now, and he plays. He trains. He, he like it's a real thing, and so that oh, yeah. was not that was not intended as the diss that it sounded like. But traditional athletes that are playing professional sports are now crossing over to gaming. 
What impact is that going to have on esports, if any? And how do you view esports, you know, just growing into the future? Yeah, well, look, esports already, I think, um, for many is shockingly already over a billion dollar business and is expected to double what well, even before the pandemic was expected to double in the next couple of years. And so I recently sat down with Meg Whitman, you know, Meg Whitman from the Silicon Valley giant, who's the co-founder with Katzenberg at Quibi. And I was talking to her about Quibi and she out of the blue said, I've never seen anything like esports. You know, it's, and I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen anything go straight up before, straight up, straight up. So esports was already on a tear and is here to stay. It is not a fad. Um, what you said about being real athletes, whatever you call them, athletes, you know, the athletes for lack of a better word, but absolutely the skills are, they're skilled players, just like golf, they're skilled players, like at driving, they're skilled players and brands are beginning to recognize that now have invested a lot of money in them. So that's only going to increase already. The pandemic where we're at home more and more people, not just the existing gamers and those who are watching esports, more and more people are now exposed to it. And so that naturally, at least in my view, is going to accelerate the what was already going straight up is going to go up even further. Greater. Fast, fast. <laughs> yes, really straight. Faster adoption. And then another big kicker on this, more fuel to that fire is that 5G is coming out, which will reduce latency, improve um, quality of the experience so much more and then cloud-based the gaming and all kinds of things so you're going to see all of this where it's going to just accelerate this industry which is already significantly challenging traditional sports yeah. you know so the big the big trick and i love look i love traditional sports but the big trick is for the you know for the more traditional players like whether it's the nfl major league baseball and all those and nba is to try to capture the fancy of the younger generation who are digital natives, right? And so that's why you see more crossover of the traditional athletes coming into the esports world. And that too is accelerating now because the athletes can't be outside. So they are now more open to understanding that this is where a big part of their audience has gone. Yeah. And I think that the location-based part of that that's working are obviously in the big events like the uh, I was just watching the replay last night of the Fortnite um, World Championship, which was at Arthur Ashe Stadium in Flushing Meadows, which is where I grew yeah. up. You know, and there yeah. were, I don't know how many, 30,000 people watching live, and, and the 16-year-old kid won $3 million um, yeah. coming in first place. And I watched an interview with him on the Jimmy Fallon show the next night. And just to show the disconnect between the audiences, Jimmy Fallon didn't even know what questions to ask. He didn't know how to interview this kid because he had no idea what esports was. And it was shy. It was actually a bit embarrassing for me because, you know, he was making jokes about, well, what do your parents think about you playing video games all day? Like that type of thing. Like the kid just won three million dollars. I'm sure his parents were quite supportive. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But there seems to be a disconnect in audiences and based on generations, which you know, welcome to, to life and parenthood. But, yes. you know, I wonder if this crossover between with traditional sports athletes now playing video games on television is going to open that up to more people our age that are kind of a bit out of touch with what's happening in esports. Yeah, I think, I think absolutely. 
So first of all, bad on Jimmy. I like I like Jimmy Fallon. He's he's hilarious. He's hilarious, and he seems like such a great guy. But and maybe he was just playing that part, you know, of the elder statesman who doesn't know what's going on. But there's no question. I think that first of all, anybody who's out there who doesn't know much about esports, that is a big part of the industry and uh, of the overall media and entertainment world now. And what you said about some of the traditional people being more exposed to esports now because they just are. They're locked in. They have nothing else to do. That, yeah, exactly. That certainly will speed things up, and it's going to be a big realization and an understanding of how impactful that can be. And also, you know, that's for the brands, too. So more money will be – more resources will be put into it. But the big opportunity kind of – there's a theme here, I think, of of continuity, of 360-ishness, where – of bringing things together, where it's not a one-way street. Like the real way to think about it is that it's smart also, not just for you to be smarter and understand that that audience, you can, you, you'll know more about that. But the younger, let's say the, those who are more tied into esports, the, so the younger generation and may not be following the NBA or some of the more traditional sports. If the personalities become relatable, the traditional sports personalities become relatable to them and they understand them and they begin to like them. Maybe then they will also gravitate more toward NFL content and this and that. And so get out into that kind of more traditional sport. And then the big win can be tying it all together. So you don't have to just have a 16-week season, regular season for the NFL. Maybe you can continue the engagement beyond the NFL network and have an NFL esports-ish sort of continuity thing. So like... If, you, if you're an IP owner, this gets back to the core. I, I, I really think this is kind of like the core. If you're an IP owner, you own content, you're a creator, whatever it may be. It may be a sports league. It may be a brand. Maybe Star Wars. Maybe anything. That sits at the center of the – or an athlete or a musician. That sits at the center of the universe. Then you look at all the different ways you can engage with people. Like that's exciting. And so esports is another area. That's the end of part two of this interview. Part three is up next.